Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. He's very confident. So when he tells you something, you believe it. Because in his manic moments, right, he, he believes it. Not only does he believe it, he thinks he's preordained by God to f- make this happen. It's 20 million, then it's 40 million. It grows 100, 110 million, 120 million. And this is money that Frank's able to use to buy other companies through Mirabilis, this worldwide organization that is hell-bent to take over the world. So what Mirabilis starts to do is they start to focus on investing in companies that have military applications. He started making a ton of money. The problem is that that Frank's bipolar issues are impossible to hide for any length of time. Woody said, I know it seems odd to follow someone that has a mental a mental illness and says the types of things that Frank says. He said, but you have to understand, Matt, he was winning. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm going to be continuing the Frank Amadeo story. We're going to be talking about Mirabilis today. 
and how, the creation of a Mirabilis and what it is and how it came into existence. Now, let me start by saying that in the last video, Frank had just, uh, just gotten out of prison and uh, Jan, a friend of his or a former business partner and friend, I guess, uh, had they had met at a, I don't know, Waffle House or a Denny's or something. And Yaniv had given him a, a chunk of money that they'd had been in a business relationship. And Yaniv showed up and said, look, you know, Frank had gone to jail, but he got out. And Yaniv gave him this money. So Frank, uh, Frank took the money. The other thing that happened is, I don't know if it was at that meeting or within weeks or a month, or so that Yaniv came to Frank and said, Frank, listen, I have an issue. Yaniv had been running a, a company where he was offering like a universal credit card. And it was, he was taking, he was taking money from clients for this universal credit card. And he was supposed to be, I believe he was supposed to be reporting it on, on these people's credit which he ended up either not doing or I'm not exactly sure the specifics of that business model are in the book based on what Frank had told me. Yaniv, by the way, I spoke with him and I interviewed him and he he disputed uh, Frank's exact account. But I'm going to tell you what Frank told me. So Frank, so Yaniv came to Frank and said, Frank, look, this is what I've been doing. He had a staff of people that worked underneath him that were making t phone calls. You know, he had like a phone room and they were making phone calls and they were offering a universal credit card for a certain fee. And they would, I believe they were supposed to place that on people's um, credit. So if you had bad credit, this would help you out. Well, what ended up happening was Yaniv had taken in a bunch of money and the problem was he wasn't able to report on these people's credit or for whatever reason, part of his, part of what he was offering, part of the service he was offering, he wasn't able to complete. So he came to Frank and said, look, I'm in trouble because I believe the, like the federal trade commission or some government agency had come into the office or was poking around asking questions. And Yaniv felt like he hadn't done anything illegal. But he also had not provided the service that he had been offering and, and selling. So let's say he was offering the service for, let's say it was two or $300. Let's say it was $200. So Frank, he came, so Frank said, look, you can give the money back. And of course he, you know, Yaniv didn't want to do that. He's like, well, I don't want to do that. Like I, I still have, you know, whatever he had made a few million dollars or whatever it was. And so Frank said, look, here's what, what we can do is we'll go in contact all of these people and offer them, you know, explain to them that this, the company's going under and that you're offering a, you're offering some of the money back, but not in the form of money. You're going to give them a gift that's worth the same amount of money. So Frank goes in one day and talks to all the salespeople and says, all these people that they'd been calling to get money out of, they're now going to call them up and offer them things like, you know, a, a, a weekend trip for the, and, and of course the weekend trip, Frank goes around to all of these, uh, um, 
what are the, uh, uh, timeshare companies where they'll offer you like, hey, we'll fly you in for the weekend and you stay here at this hotel. And all you have to do is take a, a tour, or take a two-hour tour of the hotel and you get, and we'll fly you in. You get to stay for the weekend uh, at this hotel or resort or whatever, whatever it is. And then you get to leave and that's all. You just have to take a tour of these uh, timeshares for, and it only takes a couple hours. So you could, so they call up all these clients that have paid in money, but are no longer not going to get the service. And they offer them a, uh, a weekend trip in exchange for the fee that they've paid. Or they can get, I forget what he was offering, some kind of like a clock that they were saying was worth $199, whatever the equivalent of the fee was, and they would mail that to them. So you could get the clock or you can get a weekend trip. Those are the two things. And that basically the company was entering bankruptcy. Or you, or if you want, we'll, we're going to be entering bankruptcy and you'll get nothing. So they're, they're giving away clocks and weekend trips that costs virtually nothing for, for the company. And they do this to the point where basically everybody is being made whole. At that point, Frank said that, I forget the name of the company, the organization, the government organization, it comes in and it's like uh, the Federal Trade Commission or whoever it was. They come in just as this is wrapping up and Frank explains to them what the issue was and that what they're trying to do to resolve it. And they kind of say, okay, well, you know, we got a bunch of complaints. But sounds to me like you guys are handling it. It doesn't sound criminal, you know, although Frank, when he talked to me, said he felt it, it it may very well have been criminal or could have gone criminal. But because they kind of headed it off at the past before anything had been filed, uh, he was able to quash the whole thing. Now, I, I say that I give you, tell you that story to let you know how how Frank became a venture capitalist that. Uh, that basic uh, little, you know, scheme that he came up with to get this company out of a jam uh, ended up getting his name spread around town. Let's say, and so Frank starts doing some legal consulting, some tax consulting, things that he probably shouldn't have been doing to to make money, and you know, consulting for bankruptcies. And he said companies started to come to him. People started contacting him and coming to him and talking to him. He was also giving seminars on bankruptcy, that sort of thing. Now, keep in mind, he's no longer an attorney. He's been disbarred, just got out of prison. Uh, He's working, doing different types of kind of seminars and things on bankruptcy, but just as giving like a, a speech, right? Like he's not taking money. He's just giving going around giving speeches and seminars and he, and his name is being kind of passed around uh, around the various industries in in Orlando. What's going on YouTube? RDAP Dan here, Federal Prison Time Consulting. Hope you guys are all having a great day. If you're seeing and hearing this right now, that means you're watching Matt Cox on Inside True Crime. At the end of Matt's video, there will be a link in the description where you can book a free consultation with yours truly, RDAP Dan where we can discuss things that could potentially mitigate your circumstances to receive the best possible outcome at sentencing or even after you started your prison sentence. Prior to sentencing, we can focus on things like your personal narrative, your character reference letters, prepping you properly for the pre-sentence interview, which is going to determine a lot of what type of sentence you receive. If you've already been sentenced, we can also focus on the residential drug abuse program, how you can knock off one year off of your sentence, 
Also, we have the First Step Act where you can earn FSA credits while serving your sentence. For every 30 days that you program through the FSA, you can actually knock an additional 15 days off per month. These are huge benefits, and the only way you're going to find out more is by clicking on the link, booking your free consultation today. All right, guys, see you soon at the end of the video. Peace. I'm out of here. Back to you, Matt. Uh, he ends up getting contacted uh, by the CFO or CEO of a company called Presidian. So uh, the the let's I'm going to say CEO, although I could I could be wrong. Could have been CFO, but so the CEO comes to Frank and says, Frank, can I hey can I talk to you a little bit? He says, sure, no problem. So he says, what's going on? He's like, look, you know, like his company owns several several companies. So Presidian owns several companies. Uh, they were called like the the Sunshine Companies, and um, they were essentially PEOs, which which are are employee leasing companies where let's say you, I'll give you an example. Uh, for instance, let's say your company, you have a hundred employees and your company makes coffee cups. Now you're a small business, right? You have a hundred or less. If you have less than a hundred, I think you're considered a small business. So if you have less than a hundred employees, maybe you've got 2000 employees. The point is, is that this company you would then pay or you would then pay a company to do your your taxes for you okay so presidian owns several smaller companies that other companies paid them to do their taxes for them and the way they did that was your the, all of your employees that work for the coffee cup company all 100 employees would become employees of Presidian or the Sunshine Companies, which are underneath Presidian. Let's just say Presidian for the sake of argument or simplicity. So all of your 100 coffee cup makers are now Presidian employees. Presidian has hundreds, maybe thousands of companies similar to yours that all have small 1,000 employees, 2,000 employees. They are all now employees of Presidian. Presidian leases you those employees to make your coffee cups. The good thing about this is now Presidian ends up with 20, 30, 40,000 employees. Well, with 40,000 employees, you can get some really huge cuts on workman's comp, on your, uh, your 401k program, on health insurance, because you have a lot of power now if you go to, let's say, State Farm or whatever insurance company, you say, look, I got 40,000 employees that will that I can put under you, but you have to give us the insurance at a reduced fee. If you have 100 employees, you can't do that. But if you have 20,000 or 30,000, you're going to get a cut. You're going to get a, a really good, uh, a, a great premium. And so that's what Presidian did. The problem is Presidian was in the hole. So... They were in the hole because what they had done was a lot of their a lot of their accounts were in arrears. They weren't keeping up on their accounts. And on top of that, what they were doing was if if you're an employee, and a lot of people don't know this, and this may get a little complicated, but it, it's it's that you really have to understand to understand what Frank did. If you're an employee and you make twenty dollars an hour, your employer pays you twenty dollars they withhold maybe $4. So you don't get 20 bucks. You're paid 20, but they withhold four to send to the IRS. Your employer also pays a payroll employee tax. 
So your employer also sends, let's say, a dollar. So you think, or, or let's say two more like $2. So you're thinking, oh, well, I only cost my employer $20. No, you cost them $22. They withhold four, let's say $4. And they they have their own $2. So they're supposed to send that $6 to the IRS. Now, at any given time, there are several thousand, if not 10,000 or 20,000 companies in the United States that are behind on their payroll withholding taxes. So it's not uncommon that they're supposed to be making payments to the IRS for the money they're withholding from your check, but they're not paying. They get behind, let's say they they, they tell the IRS, look, we know we owe you $12,000. We don't have the money right now. We'll give you $3,000. Uh, we're trying to catch up on bills. We're having some financial difficulties. Now, most people would think to themselves, you know, most people would think to themselves, Wow, that's like that. That's a that's a crime. Like, oh my gosh, the IRS will come in and they'll shut them down and they'll do this and they'll do that. But the truth is, because it's it's so prevalent and it happens all the time. And, and these aren't companies that are trying to do anything wrong. Like this this company isn't trying to screw over the IRS. They trust me. You want to pay somebody, you want to pay the IRS. So they're genuinely having a problem. Well, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When Frank took over Procidian or came in as an investor, for Presidian, when he came in to restructure that organization, which is what he worked out with the C CEO, he came in and said, look, he looked at his books. They had told him they were $5 million behind on their payroll uh, withholding taxes. And he's to the IRS and he said, okay, that's fine. We can work on that. Well, Frank comes in and, and agrees, says, look, one, I'm going to get, let's say, I don't know what the exact numbers are. It was like 25% of anything I save you on all this debt. Plus you're going to give me X amount of stock. Now, Frank is a Frank is a um is a convicted felon. He's not allowed to own stock in a in a publicly uh, uh traded company, but what he does is he ends up starting a corporation and having that money that stock held in that corporation. You know, is that legal? I don't know. Frank says it is. Well, so he, Frank comes into the organization. There's supposed to be $5 million in, in debt. He goes in. He starts to look at the books. It turns out they're like $11 million in debt. Now, Frank is supposed to be an investor in this company. Well, what Frank ends up doing is diverting funds that are meant for the IRS. He then reallocates some of those funds to put money back into the company. So Presidian thinks they just got an influx of several million dollars from Frank, but really what Frank did was in the accounts they had reserved for the IRS, Frank 
took that money and re and reallocated it to put back into Presidian. So Presidian doesn't really realize what's happening. They just realize that we've been holding money for the IRS. Some of that, you know, and then this guy just gave us some money to catch up on some of our bills. Frank then turns around and goes to all of their creditors. Well, the first thing he did is he goes and reestablishes new credit lines. So let's say for, let's say a lot of these companies or, or for Presidian has, you know, they're offering a 401k program through this company and insurance through this one and workman's comp through this one. He goes and he gets new new accounts with new companies. He goes to the old companies that these people owe money to. So Presidian owes money to these and he negotiates down the debt. He says, we're doing one of two things. You're either negotiate, renegotiating the debt that they owe you and putting them on a payment plan or we're going to go into bankruptcy and you're going to get nothing. And, and that's what happened. One of those creditors, those many creditors, was the IRS. So one, Frank took money that was owed to the IRS and used it as his capital to invest in the company, which is brilliant, by the way. Uh, two, what he did was he went to the IRS and said, look, they owe you $11 million. Here's what we're going to do. We can afford to pay you $3 million over the next year. And in six months from, and we'll start paying immediately. In six months from now, we'll be able to pay or make normal payments. But we need six months to reorganize re the company. So he starts acting on that strategy, which has never been okayed by the IRS. Like the IRS understood it. They were trying to get somebody to sign off on it. But if you've ever filed an extension with the IRS or owed the IRS money, which I have, um, what you end up doing is typically what you do is you file your taxes. You tell them I owe you 5 million or sorry, 5 million. <laughs> you tell me, look, I owe you $5,000. And then you say, I'm going to pay that off. You know, I'm here's a thousand. So I still owe you four. I'm going to pay you every quarter $1,000. So here's a thousand. And in three months, I'll make another payment, another payment. And you say, so let me know if that's okay. Honestly, a year later, when you're basically making your last payment, the IRS will come through and say, we're okay with that. I mean, that's how long it takes. So it's like you, you implement a strategy, a repayment uh, plan, and the IRS takes years to okay it. So for a large corporation, it would take years. But in the meantime, Frank's trying to reorganize this company. Now, what ends up happening is right away, by renegotiating all of these things and not going into bankruptcy and get it, explaining to the IRS that this is how we're going to repay you, they're still withholding money from the employees. They're also still acquiring additional companies um, and leasing their employees back to them and withholding their payroll taxes. A lot of that payroll money is not being sent to the IRS. It's just going in Mirabal, I'm sorry, going into Presidian's coffers. Now, in the meantime, Frank ends up opening a company called Mirabilis. Mirabilis is Frank's version of Spectre. Okay, Spectre 
as I think I mentioned in the last video, Spectre is the organization that was thought up by Ian Fleming as being this, this worldwide organization that is hell-bent to take over the world. And the interesting thing about this is obviously um, Ian Fleming started like the James Bond series. He started that series just after World War II. And so initially, Spectre uh, is, is a company that's hell-bent to become, uh, to, to make all of the world a communist uh, government, a com or to fall under, the entire world's supposed to basically be overtaken by communism. Now, obviously, when, you know, that, that has, that Spectre in the guise of Ian Fleming has slowly um, evolved and, but now it basically specter means that it's supposed to take this, this criminal organization that's going to take over or be able to have influence over the entire world's governments. And there's some kind of a cabal that's in charge of this whole thing. Regardless, Mirabilis is Frank's version of specter. So he starts Mirabilis. Mirabilis is using money from Presidian and other companies to acquire additional companies. So I give you an example. Um, you know, they would take money, put it into Mirabilis, and then Mirabilis would go in and you would, let's say you would, I give it, I actually give you one that I give an example in the book because there's he, he's got tons of examples. There was a company called... Um, it was, I forget the name of the company, but it was a company that was an asbestos removal company. Now, asbestos is a product, like an aggregate product, that was used in all kinds of, of construction back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Probably by the 80s, they realized that it, it, it helped call it, well, helped, it contributed to cancer. So they stopped, obviously, they outlawed, you're not allowed to use asbestos anymore. The problem is, there were people had shingles on their roof, right? Like, so you got like your roof, uh, uh, three tab, you know, shingles that had asbestos in them. It was this very tough kind of fibrous material, like, uh, like, like fiberglass. And so you would go in and, and listen, I mean, they were using it for everything. Like we're talking about, it, it's in clothing. It's, it's in all kinds of stuff. So you have, if you find out a product has asbestos, you have to have a special company come in and um, remove it. They have to have the gear. They have to make sure that the fibers don't get into the air. Like you have to have it vacuum sealed and all kinds of stuff. So Frank, there's a company that basically there's this, there was a company, he gave me an example, which is actually, this is a brilliant example. It's a, it's an asbestos removal company that had a contract with the, U.S. government to remove asbestos from several, um, I, I'm going to say they were, they were, I want to say they were like subs or something, but it may have simply been like a Navy boats or something along those lines. Like there were several boats or subs or, or something along those lines. I don't know exactly. I have the specifics in, in the book. Well, this company has a huge contract. The problem is that the government doesn't pay until like 90 days after you're done. And it, this is going to take this guy six months to complete the contract. 
He can't survive. It's a small business. He can't survive for six months. So he went around looking for somebody to invest, like, give me half a million dollars and I can get this done. And then the government's going to pay me $2 million, $3 million. I already have a contract. Well, the guy was supposed to have done this. He was looking everywhere for an investor. He could not come up with it. His whole company is about to go under. And then the then just as Frank enters the picture, and the guy goes to Frank and says, I'm looking for a venture, cap venture capitalist. I'll give him like half of my company if he'll just put up, let's say, half a million dollars or a million, whatever the whatever it was. And Frank comes in and 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 as he's negotiating with the guy to get controlling interest of the company, um, the Navy cancels the contract. Frank, being a bankruptcy attorney, immediately files a notice of, ba of bankruptcy, and then it's called clawing back, claws back the, the, the contract. So he files for, for bankruptcy, which is in federal court. He then gets the bankruptcy court to order the, um, the, the, the Navy to reinstate the contract. Now, how that's possible, I, I don't know, but apparently there was some kind of a, a an overlay, an overlap. And so sure enough, the federal a federal court said, no, no, that contract is still good. You have to give this guy 90 days to start the project, whatever that the case may be. And so Frank puts up the half a million dollars and the guy immediately starts and ends up getting, uh, you know, he's got the contract, he ends up completing it. Frank has has control of the company and this guy does predominantly starts to be, to do military contracts. Frank also so he just took a company that was about to go under, invested half a million dollars, the company made 2 million dollars within 6 months it's made it made 2 million dollars. So Frank gets his money back and owns as controlling interest in the company. He also another company that he did this with gosh, this was another one which was a oh Satellite company. So there was a satellite company that made portable satellites for the military. And keep in mind, at this point, we are currently in, I want to say, Afghanistan and Iraq. So you've got the Iraq war going on, or we're not, there was no longer a war. We were basically, we were occupying Iraq and Afghanistan. And so the, so this company makes this company makes portable satellites for the U.S. Army. They, they they sit them on the back of a truck. I got pictures. I have picture actually if you on the website, I have pictures of the company, one of the satellite things. They they throw them on the back of like an eighteen wheeler or something, and they drive them in the middle of nowhere, and then it puts up this huge, you know, dish, and you're allowed to use you know whatever satellites, uh, phones, whatever they're using over there. So this company had a contract with the government, but they needed an in influx of cash. Frank comes in, verifies that they've got government contracts, and he ends up giving them the money to build these satellite dishes. So what Mirabilis starts to do is they start to focus on investing in companies that have military applications, right? Companies that do something. They make helmets or they make uh, 
you know, bulletproof gear. And by the way, these aren't companies that he did invest in. I'm just saying that type of thing. Uh, maybe they make satellite dishes. Maybe they remove asbestos from uh, military bases. I, I don't know. But most of these companies have some kind of military application. Now, one of the other things he did was Frank ends up investing in a company called Tactical. Tactical is a company that it's hard to explain this to somebody that has never been through the prison system because it sounds ridiculous. But I'm going to give you an example of it. And it won't seem so ridiculous when we get to the other videos and you see what happens. Anyway, Tactical, and by the way, there was like three different companies. Like one was called like Eagle Claw. One was Tactical International Business, you know, something and then one was called tactical over anyway we're consolidating these three companies in tactical it's called tactical tactical was headed up by a guy named kevin billings now kevin billings was the head of george bush's george bush senior's secret service uh detail so he was head of the secret of the secret service detail that protected uh president president bush senior not junior. And he had just, he had retired after whatever, 20 years as a, in the secret service. Uh, he was also on the, I think on their, on their SWAT, they have like a SWAT type of like SWAT team or I forget what they call it, but penetration team or something. Anyway, he, Kevin Billings was extremely, uh, he was extremely knowledgeable and had a ton of experience. And he was the guy that head up or headed tactical. Now, according to Frank, what tactical did, well, what one of the wings of tactical did was they would accept contracts to go into other countries and grab people that the that were wanted by the DEA or ATF or FBI or CIA, whoever. They would go in and they would grab someone and then bring them back to the United States. And I'll give you an example of this. For instance, let's say you're a drug dealer in Colombia and you're vacationing and, and you're, you've, been, you've been indicted and you're in, let's say you're in Venezuela. So you're from Colombia, but you're in Venezuela on vacation or who knows what you're doing. Like the FBI and you're wanted by, let's say, let's say you're wanted by the DEA. You're wanted by the DEA, but they can't grab you in Venezuela. Like Venezuela is not going to, they're not, Venezuela certainly isn't going to grab this Colombian citizen and, and send him to the United States. So what happens is the DEA puts a bounty, like a $250,000 bounty on your head, on their head. So, and, and it's, it's pretty simple. Now he said, it's not really written down like this, but the way it works is this. If you contact the DEA and you say, listen, you, let's say you contact the Tampa, Florida field office of the DEA and you say, listen, we've got, you know, Ricardo Ochoa and we're about to land at Tampa International Airport in our private jet. And this is tactical. We've got him. He's wanted. He's been indicted. We're going to drop him off. Somebody needs to show up and somebody needs to show up and pick him up. Basically, the DEA shows up, signs for him, 
They don't ask any questions and they cut you a check for $250,000. So what happens is Tactical finds out or is maybe even, is even notified by the DEA, hey, listen, this guy Ochoa is going to be in Venezuela for two He's there right now. He's going to be there for the next week or two. Here's where he's staying. Nothing that they can do about it. These guys go in. They watch his hotel for a couple of days. They watch his routine. They see that he goes and gets coffee every morning. They see him come in here, come here, that he leaves here. This is a car that picks him up. They have a. They sit in a van for three days, four days, five days. And then one day they see him. They walk up to him. They hit him with a taser, throw a black bag over his head, zip tie him and throw him in the back of the van. They drive the van immediately to the airport. They throw him on a private jet. And Frank had two private jets. So... They throw him on a private, I don't know how many tactical had. They throw him on a private jet. They fly into the United States. They call the DE, they fly into Tampa International Airport. They call the DEA field office and say, we've got Ochoa. We're landing in 30 minutes. We need somebody to come pick him up. A couple of DEA agents show up. They meet you on the runway. You know, you can fly into the, the private private airport on a, in Tampa International. You fly in private. You yank them out of the out of the fuselage. Pull it, pull the black mask off. Hand them the DEA. They cut you a check for two fifty. Now it sounds like they cut you a check right then, but I doubt that they have authority. They probably you probably get a check. You know, whatever. A few months later, the point is that. Achoa can be screaming the entire time. You're kidnapping me. You're kidnapping me. You're kidnapping me. Now that sounds far-fetched, by the way. But if you've been in the federal prison, you would know that this is absolutely true. I have met at least 20 guys that were not only in their own country when they got grabbed and thrown on a plane or picked up by the Coast Guard, you know, these guys would grab, they don't even know who grabbed them. Like, they're like, literally, I don't even know, they like, they know now, it, they always say, oh, it was the U.S. government. Of course, the U.S. government will tell you, no, we didn't grab them, because they didn't grab them. Companies like Tactical, do, or companies like um, Blackwater, or isn't it Blackwater, Blackrock? The investment flight? No, no, the, I'm, I'm talking about like, uh, like the these, these private military groups, right? These private military groups, like, and, and that's what the, this is. It's a private military group that they'll, they do stuff that the military or the U.S. government can't do. So they hire them to do it. So these companies will go in, grab them, because think about it. If they grab them, let's say these guys get caught. Let's say some police officer pulls over the van. They find this guy tied up in the back of it. They yank these guys out. They arrest them. They say, well, we're arresting you for kidnapping. What do these guys do? It's not. Now, if they're CIA agents or FBI agents, they can go to the U.S. government and say, hey, you sent us over here to grab this guy. Now, granted, that's a huge international uh, um, issue right there, right? Like that's a, that's a huge debacle. But if some private guy says, hey, we, we grab this guy to get a bounty we're U.S. citizens. We need help. The U.S. government will be like, sounds to me like you kidnapped somebody in this other country. Like, that's horrible. You're on your own. We didn't sign anything for you. We didn't send it. 
The, the agreement is if you show up and call us, you get a check, no, no questions asked. We certainly didn't tell you to go grab these, this guy. We didn't sign anything. We didn't promise you anything. So I know many, many people in prison that are like Colombians or Venezuelans or other countries that don't necessarily, Brazilians, that don't necessarily have a good relationship with the United States. I, I even met a guy that was a hacker that had been grabbed. He was Russian and he went to, now I don't think, I don't know if it was Ukraine or which country it was, but it was some country that wasn't a part of Russia. He's a Russian citizen wanted. And had he stayed in Russia, he'd have been okay. But he went to some place like, I don't know, Belarus or um, or uh, uh, Ukraine or some other country to go on vacation and thought he was okay and came out of his hotel one day and got grabbed and thrown into a van and he said he was flown to Germany and then the in Germany they put him on a plane and they flew him to the United States and it wasn't until he got to New York that he even realized that what was happening. Like they literally told him nothing. They're just escorting him. And this went on for days. They didn't tell him anything. He would tell you that well, the, the, the U.S. government grabbed me in, in, uh, um, in Ukraine. But most likely it wasn't the U.S. government. The guys never told him they were U.S. government. They just said there's a warrant out of the United States for you. What's it, what's it, what warrant? What? It's all we know, bro. That's all we know. They don't say, hey, we're FBI, we're Secret Service, we're CIA, we're DEA. They don't, U.S. Marshals, none of that. They grab them, and these guys always think that that's an American agency. Well, it's not. It's companies like Tactical. And that's one of the things that Tactical did. Tactical also accepted contracts in Afghanistan to do things like, you know, guard uh, military barracks, uh, or they would, they would drive convoys or guard convoys of food. Things that like, okay, so let's say the U.S. government lands a bunch of food at the airport and they need to, they need to drive this five trucks full of full of food, you know, MRIs or something, uh, MRIs, MREs, meals ready to eat, MREs, uh, MREs, they have to drive them to, let's say the green zone or to this, some, whatever, some school, whatever. Well, I mean, this is a bunch of food. Like this isn't going to be attacked by, by some militia group or, or anything. So what do they do? They give that assignment to tactical tactical has a bunch of guys. They have machine guns. They, they drive, you know, Toyota pickup trucks and they escort them, but you know, but those guys make good money. Tactical makes good money. It's funny. I have articles where it, it talks about how they, they're flying in, um, they're, they're, uh, they, uh, Mirabilis fl- is flying in like seeds for the seeds of hope program, uh, Mirabilis flew in tons and tons of of seeds, and 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 those convoys were all guarded by uh, groups from like Tactical. So, with that said, that that's like one of those companies that was developed by Frank or that Frank bought that had military applications. Now, one of the other things that Mirabilis was doing was they would buy up companies and cons- multiple companies that worked well with one another. And then they would do things like 
let's let me give you the example of printing. So let's say you needed massive printing. He might buy something like a publishing company, and then he may buy several other companies that needed printing to be done. And what they would do is they would all of these other companies would use the publishing company to print all of their do all their printing. So they would take five companies that now use one company to do all of their printing. And so you just removed an expense from all of these companies and you also gave the contracts for that printing to a publishing company or to a company that deals with equipment uh, or or, um, printing equipment. And as a result, all of these companies get a discount on their printing and the company that you bought that was failing is now making money because it's got all of these new contracts. That's the type of thing that he was doing. So he's taking these companies, he's investing money from the IRS that should be going to the IRS. He's he's reallocating that money to invest in failing companies, then reorganizing those companies and making them profitable. And, and keep in mind... One of the things he did was he's a bankruptcy expert. So his big thing was always to threaten bankruptcy. Like you're owed half a million dollars. You'll accept $300,000 on a payment plan. Like we're not giving you the 300,000. We're saying we'll give you 300,000 and we'll make payments to you over the next two years. So it's it's not washing away the debt, but it's turning it into a manageable debt at a extreme at a forty percent discount, and it's spreading it out. So that company that could that was deep in the in debt is no longer deep in debt, and and that as a result, these companies become profitable. And and then of course the the company that's accepting the money is either either turns back on the credit line says, hey, this company's in good standing again, or Frank just goes to another creditor. Why wouldn't another creditor accept these people? They, they're not in debt. They haven't, they haven't, um, the, the, the debt isn't in collections. They're on a payment plan with another vendor. So they now have another vendor. They just switch to another vendor who then turns on the tap and starts providing them whatever they need. Point is, is he had he was a brilliant at renegotiating and getting these companies turned around, and as a result of that, he started making a ton of money. The problem is that that Frank's bipolar issues are impossible to hide for any length of time. You could have a conversation with him for forty-five minutes to an hour. You might have multiple small brief interactions with Frank, but there is no way to tell when he will snap. There's no real way to tell when he will suddenly become outraged and go into, you know, go into an angry rant. It's, it's never something where he's threatening you or going to say anything horrible to you or, uh, or, or be, you know, get into, let's say, a uh, uh, you know, it's not like he's going to be violent towards you, but he, he will say insane things that make you think, oh my God, what's happening? The problem is he's, he's brilliant and he, he's, he's very confident. So when he tells you something, you believe it because in his manic moments, right? He, he believes it. 
Not only does he believe it, he thinks he's preordained by God to make this happen. So when he says it, he says it with such fervor that you absolutely believe this is possible. And you know, you can feel in your heart that he believes it too. So when he would go into these meetings, he would convince people to accept deals that they would have never accepted from anyone else. Because he believed it so, so emphatically, overwhelmingly. And as a result of that, he was, he was turning companies around. And I remember I interviewed a guy by the name of Woody that had worked with Frank. And I remember talking to Woody. And I remember when I was talking to Woody about Frank, I was like, but you guys, you knew that Frank had this problem. And he was, and I remember what, I'll never forget Woody's uh, response. Woody said, I know it seems odd to follow someone that has a mental and mental illness and says the types of things that Frank says. He said, but you have to understand, Matt, he was winning. He was getting companies. He was one, he was procuring companies that nobody wanted. And he was reorganizing those companies, renegotiating their debt, and turning them around. He was taking loser companies and making them winners. He was winning. And so it was easy to follow someone that had nothing but a record of success despite how off he may have seemed at times you know you just kind of chalked it up to oh he's quirky he he has some quirky things that he says and does it and we laughed about it and i would you know you would say to him like hey bro like 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 you would you would joke around with frank about well, when you take over the world, what's going to happen? And Frank would do, oh, well, when I take over, here's what's going to happen. And Frank would joke around about it. Like they would all joke or in the middle of talking, somebody would complain about something. He'd go, well, when I take over the world, he'd say, I'm fixing that. That's, that's never going to happen again. Don't you worry. We're going to take care of that. And everybody would kind of chuckle and laugh. But he said, but people knew it was, it was real. It was real. And I know I've mentioned this before, and I may mention it again, that it was real. And having been incarcerated with prison, or sorry, having Having been incarcerated with Frank, I can tell you right now that I know exactly what he's saying. Like you're listening to this guy who's in, who's, who says insane things, and yet I'm watching him do people's legal work and literally performing miracles. Everybody told me about my own case, you can't win this. And yet Frank won my case. So as insane as it sounds, it's, it's understandable. So once again, one of the things that he did was with, with Mirabilis and with Procidian was he, Frank started acquiring failing businesses. And I'd like to mention one of his main things that he did, and this is how ultimately he gets in trouble, obviously how I end up meeting him in prison, is that once he buys the company, the first thing he would do is he would buy this company, and if it had 300 employees, one of his negotiation, one of his 
renegotiating debts and reorganization organizing strategies was he would immediately go to them and say, listen, by the way, you're 300 employees. We can save a lot of money on your pension plan and your insurance plan and your workman's comp. We can save a lot of money by moving those companies over to Presidian and we're going to have Presidian lease the companies back or those lease the employees back to you. Presidian will do all of the HR work. They will, um, and all of the accounting, they will remove all the money from their income or from their, uh, the, the payroll and they'll send that money to the IRS. And so you don't have to worry about handling that all at all. So you can, we can get rid of all of the staff that you have dedicated to that, to do that. Isn't that great? We're going to save you money by, by, by simply leasing those companies from Presidian. Now, the problem is the the companies would come in and, or the companies that Frank acquired would say, wow, that's great. We have 2000 employees. We can save how much Frank? And he'd say, oh, you save this much. They'd go, wow, that's great. And then they would lease up those employees. They would then lease those employees back from Presidian and the money that the company pays into Presidian, Presidian pays the employees, removes the money that's supposed to go to the IRS, but they don't send it to the IRS. Maybe some of the money goes to the IRS, but the but some of it also is placed into accounts that somehow or another Frank ends up being able to utilize those funds. And that's really what happens over the course of a considerable amount of time, years. Frank negotiates with the IRS, and this the, 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 the negotiations with the IRS goes on for a long time, years. The problem is, every month, the amount of money that is being removed, withdrawn from employee payroll is building up and building up and building up. It's 20 million, then it's 40 million, 60, 90. It grows 100, 110 million, 120 million. And this is money that Frank's able to use to buy other companies through Mirabilis and grow Mirabilis. Mirabilis ends up, the employee, Mirabilis has, I forget what it was, 30 or 40, like 40,000 employees after a few years. It, there's articles in the Orlando uh, Sentinel, uh, Sentinel about, uh, about the growth of the company. He, he ends up leasing the top two floors of the SunTrust building in downtown Orlando. You know, from, from Frank's office window, you can, you can see, you can see the globe of uh, Ebcot. So Orlando is surrounded basically by, you know, Disney World and and um, uh, Universal Studios and MGM Studios and and Epcot and all of these all these, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse World uh, um, entertainment type places. And from Frank's I always I always love the picture, the idea of Frank standing at the window, the, the, the top floor window of Mirabilis looking out over Disney World with a shadow of Epcot's globe, you know, covering, you know, striking the window or, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, it's just so hilarious that this is where 
his it's it's appropriate that this was where his uh his office was located anyway uh i appreciate you guys watching the video that was probably too long-winded but regardless i'm doing what i can i appreciate you guys uh watching the video do me a favor if you like the video hit the subscribe button hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this share the video if you haven't watched the other videos go watch the other videos from the beginning on this series and I appreciate you guys uh, checking it out. See ya.